You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Or not. Episode 361 of the When you were stretching beforehand, out of the corner of my eye, I could see you covering your... I thought you were doing this. The little owls. Owls. <laughs> I thought you were doing the little no. upside down OKs on your eyes, and I was like, "What is he doing?" I'm not that. Then I looked at you, and you were just rubbing your eyes. Very Sorry. enthusiastic. I'm hyper today. Well, and yours, yours is always turned down much lower. Like your gain is way lower than everyone else's. Because I'm loud. Yeah. Naturally. Well, and like this mic here. This mic here is a, a quite a bit different than those mics, and we're now using that for the guest mic, the orange one over there that was Julia's, because I think it's a better mic for guests that have a tendency to do that. Yeah, but like this mic um, also does not do well. It has a lot of gain issues, the one that I use, so I wonder if this will help. Maybe this will help. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> still episode 361 so you know seven years into it we're we're still fixing hey Never that's ends. it doesn't stop but that's okay that's okay if it doesn't stop i guess not quite seven we're, but a couple weeks shy of our seven year anniversary it's uh yeah what do we we decided last week it was uh um, that's when we have we have uh, madge on seven times 52 was four so three more episodes 654 will be, or 364 will be the, <laughs> 654 will be, uh, I don't know if we'll still be doing the show. Years? I was going to say, are we going to continue to call it the New Utah Podcast, even at episode 600? Like, Well, it's not about that the podcast is new. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's the um, side of Utah. It is the, it, it's the new Utah. It's the current Utah. It's the one that we all like. Um, oh, speaking of, uh, Utah's awesomeness, um, and why everyone thinks we're weird. Um, you, do you guys remember last year? Um, it was in early June and, uh, Governor Cox asked everyone Pray for, for rain. a weekend of, of prayer for yes. rain. Now he's claiming that that weekend of prayer worked. Yes. <laughs> Is like, he really? Yes. Yeah, he, he gave a speech. He gave a speech to, I think it was like a Republican donor, like dinner thing or something. But he said, look, I'm not going to take credit for everything. He's like, the first miracle, there were two miracles that happened this year. The first one was the citizens of Utah conserved over 6 billion gallons of water last year, which I think is amazing. And I think that's a, that, that's something that, you know, hasn't gotten enough attention yeah. and needs to because that's a really big thing. The trick is, can we continue to work on that level of conservation as a state? I was a big contributor. I didn't water my lawn. It's so fucking dead that <laughs> we'll talk about that in a yeah, second. Yeah, it's not really even coming back very well. Um, all my neighbors have nice green lawns. Mine is dirt. Half of green? <laughs> Just from, um, it's green from weeds too. No, well, yeah, but the front yard's got some grass in it. Um, but anyway, uh, then he said the second miracle was we had, uh, all of Utah praying to whatever deities and we had, this is a record breaking year for moisture in the state of Utah. And I'm like, that's not the that's two. Not how this works. Correlation does not equal causation there. Like, it's not. <laughs> Well, the, but the way he worded it to whatever your whatever deity you deity believe in, or just the way power, he worded it, it's, yeah. it's like 
It's like even though you've all chosen wrong, and the Mormon <laughs> Church is the only true church, we still want your prayer. Just the way it was worded was. Yeah, so I remember joking about sketchy. it. Sketchy, just so. But yeah, when he did that, and so now that it's clips, cringy. That's the word cringy, you're looking for. It's cringy. Searching for, but yeah, now that clips out there of him being like, "Oh, we're miracle makers in the state." Like that's just fucking. Yeah, we pr- we were supposed to pray for Utah, but look at California and everywhere else. I'm sure they really appreciate the six hundred and no, like eight hundred and something feet of snow or whatever Tahoe got. Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't eight hundred feet, but it was. Uh, you know what I mean. Similar levels. I mean, the thing, the trick is the melt and how fast that melt occurs. And so far, we've had a really good, like, low level melt where all the lower elevation snow's gone and it filled up rivers and there was a few flooding incidents. And now we're going to see the real test as we get through. I, I still think we have like one more good solid winter storm in us, uh, in, in May at some point. We yeah, usually do. At least up in the mountains. But I think for the most part, lower elevations are, are done with snow. Um, and so I'm sure, sure all those so. houses that fell off of the cliff and Draper. Uh, that, well, that's not even like the water thing. We'll, we'll talk about, in fact, I, might as well, might as well talk about it now. I was going to ask Jeremy's opinion. That's so just, I've been reading a lot about it because I've been seeing it. Just, I saw all the videos the night it happened. Just makes me sick. Cause I, cause I, so being the architect on that, none of those are my homes, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You totally rely on everything else being the engineer. Correct. However, in a case like that, typically everybody gets sucked in. But what happened is, um, one, let's be honest, they shouldn't, they should be building houses on that location. Well, so that location, just so everyone is aware of, so this is a specific neighborhood in Draper. And on one side of the street, there was a ravine, an existing big ravine. And they, engineered the soil so they stuck a bunch of soil and filled in this ravine and put in retaining walls and built houses on top of it which is never a good idea because brought in dirt is never as solid as the surrounding the surrounding existing soil and there are ways to do it there are ways to do it and and like the pylons and stuff that you have to put in place for most of that like i've got but it's got to like go through all of that down into the i've got a friend that built out in harriman when harriman was first starting to develop like 20 years ago and i remember it was a huge thing when they were building because they have like 40 foot they have like 40, 40 foot pylons underneath this house, mm-hmm. um, going way down into the earth, into the bedrock that the entire house sits on. So that if anything happens, the house is still there. The whole hill can fall away and the house will be on yeah. top of these pylons. So that's the way it should be done. But you can tell from the pictures of these collapses, there's not a single fucking pylon. I imagine you watched them. I saw. Like it's so creepy to watch that happen. Like it just. All of a sudden, there's the top of the house just yeah that one the second story falls, falls off. off or the whole sorry or the whole house just all of a off. sudden you're just you're looking and then the whole house just ultimately what it comes down to is somebody somewhere cut corners to save money. I mean that's the bottom line. Yeah, the and, statement from the developer just cracks me up. Well, though. so back in October, back in October, um, basically the residents had reported to the city of Draper and said. Hey, we've got all these cracks that are forming in the foundation. We can hear the the roof and the walls popping and creaking. Like that's there's some like when you have a brand new home, some of that's normal. 
Yeah. There hearing, are some settlements. Hearing the house settle and hearing some creaks and some pops as that thing happens. Cracks in the foundation are not normal. Yeah. And these houses were only like two months old at the time. And so the city came in and they brought in engineers and they said, get out. You have to get out. We, we are deeming these not livable. Yeah, they, they are unsafe. They gave them an evacuation and notice. The developer said, we don't agree with that. We've had our engineers look at it. They're fine. We can work on like shoring them up, but they'll be fine. Um, in retrospect, now the developer has apologized for <laughs> that and said, you know, in retrospect, the city was right. <laughs> And then they went on to talk about how all the extra moisture is the cause for the collapse, which is total but bullshit. That, yeah, that's bullshit. It's like, Jeremy, I think we talked about this last episode or the episode before, or maybe we were just talking about I it think in the we car. we were just talking about but it. We, but he was saying, you know, you have to prepare for that hundred year storm. And this might be that. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is the, you know, 75 yeah, year storm. There's the, another one coming. That was the Kaysville deal that we were talking about but, that last but week. But the whole point is you have to be prepared for the worst thing that can happen in the area that you're in. Right. right? So in California, you have to be prepared for the, you know, big, huge earthquake. And, you know, if you're going to build in Midvale and Murray, you might have to, you know, do for the flood. Or if you're going to build on a sandy hill, you need to put the pylons into the ground. Yeah. It's, it sucks. I feel horrible for those homeowners. Of course, the people across the street are like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Yeah. Like, is this going to happen to our homes? The chances of that are pretty low because they are yeah. on ground that was there so, before. All the moisture didn't help, but that should not be a factor on a house that's less than a year old. No. No. If, the, if it, it was shouldn't built properly. fall completely into no. the ravine. Like, I get it. There might be a couple of minor cracks in the foundation that don't affect the integrity of the home or some cracks maybe in your, you know, your drywall or whatever, where the house settled just a little bit or something, but not yeah, falling that's, off the that's face brutal. of the earth. Yeah, that just, my stomach just goes into knots when I see stuff like that. Well, Cause that's what you do. And you're like, <laughs> well, I, and I rely on the soils reports and the engineers and, and if somebody somewhere doesn't give you the information or cuts corners and you don't know about it. Yeah. And you got to imagine because the city would have had to sign off on that. And most cities, I don't know how Draper is, but I don't, most cities are so pretty. Draper is one of the most stringent because I don't know if you remember, give or take 10 years ago, the same thing happened mm -hmm. and the city got sued and everything else. So they've been, they're one of the most stringent. So, so how, the, how did they sign off on well, that? Well, that says to me, somebody, that someone cut corners, Yeah, that the, all of the plans got approved and, and someone Just, when they were building cut corners. Well, it, so it's a geotechnical engineer. Yeah, but it, the thing is, but like, if the builder doesn't follow what the geotech engineer says. Yeah, it's just like Jeremy. When Jeremy shows up on a site and they're like, this wall's not fitting. And he's like, well, you didn't put it in the right fucking place because you, you used the wrong plans. Like, uh, like last summer, that house that got poured. Oh, yeah. Where they poured it like too a couple close to feet, the sidewalk. Like and nine feet. Yeah. In the wrong direction. And then they were all upset. Well, this isn't passing. And they, they fail this and takes me about a minute and a half to figure it out. Well, you poured it nine feet too close to the road. Well, that's what it says on your plans. No, it, no doesn't. it doesn't. Someone just. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that is what, a $50,000 mistake. What, but. what sucks is Jeremy's right. Like everybody's going to get pulled in. The architect, the uh, yeah. sub consultants on a, on a build like that in a neighborhood mm -hmm. like that, you usually have a couple of architects. You've got some, some yeah, consulting engineers. architects. You've got an engineer or two. And ultimately what they'll do is they'll weed through all of those people to see where the disconnect was and, I haven't seen any of it, so I can't say, but if I had to guess, 
It, w- it was one of the, one of the one of the contractors. It's my guess did not do their job. I, that's that's I, all there is to it. So yeah. the the difference too there is you've got to think about the fact that the the contractor might not have poured the stuff correctly, but there's other people that are supposed to oversee that as well. So it's going to be whoever didn't do what they were supposed to do if that was indicated, and then the person who was supposed to oversee it and confirm that I'm it was done. There's a number of them, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that just just makes me sick. It's a shitty, tragic (laughs) thing that, you know, that's how new building codes oftentimes show up is, is that kind of stuff. And you can guarantee Draper's going to have some serious building code changes as a result. Well, apparently there was some family that kind of believed the developer and thought that it it would get fixed and they had left their belongings there to store them. Idiots. Because, you know, like finding storage and stuff is, is pricey too. Yeah, but. And they were actually going back the day of the morning where they all fell off the cliff, they were, their plan was to go and say, well, this is, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to get our stuff out. So all their stuff fell off. Yeah. Well, that's, that's on, that's on them. They were told to get out months ago. Sorry. Like five months ago, they were told to get out and get all their shit out. And, it, like I get it, storage is expensive, but also hmm. that's back on the builder. If you get your house two months after living in it, and you get told it's unlivable by the city, that's on the builder to pay for that shit. Well, and the to thing is, is you. they were still they were still disputing it. Oh yeah, of course they were. And but. so at that point, that's that cost is coming out of your pocket. When it, when it's still under dispute, it stuff. will come out of the builder's pocket. No, eventually. I get that, but there are some people that yeah. can't afford to pay for the uh, the alternate place they're going to live, the mortgage that they still owe until it's actually deemed unlivable. Um, that was October. Well, yeah, but you still owe your mortgage yeah. until all that's sorted out, and then and then if you have to get storage too, so you're paying a mortgage, you're paying rent, and you're paying storage. Like some people can't can't do that. Yeah, it's bad know. news all around. It's uh, it's rough. I feel really bad for those people and the people in Kaysville because that's just shitty contractors, honestly. And what's really frustrating is it's those few that cut corners that make it rough for everybody else because people's perception is all contractors suck. All, you know, and it's, that's not true. It's just like saying all used car salesmen. No, yeah. that is true. <laughs> well, and and the the other thing is 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 uh, you know we've. I follow um, inspectors on TikTok and stuff, and you can see that like during, during COVID when people were trying to find alternate sources and stuff, they use that as a a huge excuses to cut corners. And you'll see these new builds where siding is missing, or you can see daylight from the inside of the house because they didn't close the whole, like, it's not, it's not even watertight. Like a garage used to be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a mass produce like in a, in a development. I, it would have to be. It'd have to be with one of Jeremy's developers. It would have to be very (laughs) serious. Like you'd have to do some pretty serious inspection on other houses that maybe were in that area before I would buy a house that was built during COVID because. Yeah, there's, there's some cut. shitty stuff that was happening. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to railroad us back into the intro where I can talk about my yard and my weekend. Because <laughs> I'm done talking about Draper now, those poor people. Uh, my dead yard. So I got some, I, I told, I think last week I said I was going to get an aerator. Yeah. They're not cheap. No. Even the like crappy manual ones are like a hundred bucks. So I got aerator That's shoes. Not that bad, though. So I got those like, I got some like them. two inch long nail spike shoes. 
Uh, they they just go over your Uber shoes. Uber golf and, shoes. Uh, well, except you can't like they're really hard to walk on concrete and not fucking break your ankle. Um, so you like had to put them on and then like carefully move to the grass and like have everything. Why didn't you just you. put them on? Because I didn't want to. I didn't want to sit in the dirt. Put them on. So how's that? How's that? Going? Uh, it was cool. So it was cool. So I just did the front yard. Um, I th- I thought it was going to go faster than it was. I was like, oh, I'll just be walking around the yard. It was hard to walk around the yard. Like it was easy to walk until you hit it like a like a a tree a root, root or something, and then like it wouldn't stick in. And you're like, oh shit! And I fell over at one point and like flung. I had a spade with me and it like flew out of my hand. <laughs> they like the runway models with the super high heels. Yeah, where they like trip on them. Yeah, that's what it kind of felt like. But I mean, it was fine walking around. But I was like, I can't just like walk normal. Like I need to get enough aeration in this because it's not pulling out big chunks. Except for when I fell, at which point a huge chunk of my yard just <laughs> flew up in the air. Um, but it seems like it aerated pretty well. And then I put down two pounds of white clover seed in my front yard. Hopefully the birds didn't eat it all. But I picked the perfect time to do it. So I did it. So last week, was it? Uh, he kind of did it in a drizzle like he came in his shoulders. were. Damp. I think it was Thursday. Was it Thursday no. last week? Didn't you it do was... it Saturday when no. I was working? Uh, oh, maybe. So I... then... We got tons of rain. Yeah, so it was because it says that you have to do it with the soil kind of moist. Oh no, I think you did do it during the week. Yeah, I did it like like maybe it was Thursday. It might have been Friday. Um, I don't know. It was one day in the week. But I went outside. I walked around. um, I got it all and I seeded it, and then it just kept raining like a couple different days and and stayed stayed cool. And And I'm like, that is perfect for like non-active seed germination. (laughs) Like I can just let nature do its thing. Um, so we'll see how the clover, uh, if it takes root and what it looks like. Cause yeah, my yard is walking around it. There is a lot of just straight up dead. Like it's not just dormant. It just died. Gone. Yeah. So, Some of the shadier areas are the only places where it's coming back. So like by our pine tree and by the quakies where it didn't get burned away. In the slim shady section. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could see it when you drove oh, yeah. up. Like, oh, yeah. well, There's like. Peach fuzz. So I'm hoping here in a week or two, especially with all this nice moisture this week, and the, the, it's going to start seeing a little something. Yeah, I hope so. So, and then I've taken the next couple, no, the end of the week off, so that I can get through a couple, uh, get through the course that I'm currently working on, get on a new course, and then actually do some garden work because I don't know, yeah. I'm like don't have enough time. So, and I've got to borrow your tile saw because I really do want to fix the tile. The when the earthquake happened and that the oh, hump yeah. that was in there like moved, like we probably have like ten tiles that are like broken. Yeah. It's, so uh, I got to chisel those out and put new ones in now that we have a. I wish that the hump wasn't so big and we could have self leveled the whole room. But oh yeah. It was. It's really. But I mean, big. some of the areas would have been like three or four inches deep. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Too which would much. have been weird to the ceiling. And, <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, uh, I want to know how the chicken palace is coming. Is it done? Is it painted? We're, no, no, not painted yet. Is it shingled? Not yet. The problem is we keep getting all this rain. Yeah, it's hard to work so in the rain. So the roof's about, the roof sheathing is about 99%. On. I've got one okay. little strip left to go. And it's, I keep, okay, tomorrow I'm going to like get the, the, the water barrier on there and start shingling. But it, we get dumped on because we got uh, Sunday at, it rained. Monday it rained. And you can't put the water barrier on unless it's dried it out, It needs right? to be dry. Because yeah. otherwise it'll just... It'll just create mold on Sit there with there. moisture in it. So that's been my holdup. But we've got... So we've been working on other things. We've got the nests all done. The, the nest box is all good to go. Yeah, I saw that. I tore out all the old 
nests. So now they don't have a choice but to go into the new ones. Um, getting the perch. Wall. Have they started using the new ones? Uh, there weren't any eggs today. Oh, okay. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. So I did tell Jonathan before I left, go look on the ground out there because they could they might just be, be upset right dropping now. them anywhere because they haven't figured it out yet because chickens are stupid. Yeah. They're really fucking dumb. So it's coming. And then, um, our park strip. <laughs> so, um, as, as you know, and I've been talking about, we spent the last four or five months getting it all tore out. It took longer because winter hit and then we had a ton of snow, which is fine. Uh, so we got the cloth on. We got it all ready. So I call up the place to order rock and I told them, I said, my, my park strip's five feet wide and I got about 90 feet long because, uh, I live on a corner and it goes to the curb. Mm-hmm. Once it goes around the curve, the city owns the other yeah. stretch. So that's the other part. So the guy that does the math is like, okay, well, that should be about seven tons. And in my mind, I'm like, that seems like a lot. That's a lot of rock. I'm like, okay. So they bring the seven tons. It was not enough. What? <laughs> yeah. It's not when we did the side, <laughs> when we did our, when we did this over here, I think it, I think, I it think was we a, did five tons. No. Was it more? It was more. I think it was 10. So yeah. I had to order two more tons. That sucked dick, by the way. Raking and shoveling all that fucking rock just to fill yeah, in well, that park Yeah, well, guess what? Area. That's what we're doing it again. So yeah, sure. I don't think it'll be as bad on the Mine's park. Mine's bigger, though. though. Mine's, yeah. Oh, for sure. Mine's the... So the smaller stuff like you got is probably the one to two inches. Yeah. Mine was the two to six. Oh, you went with the big stuff. So they're, they're, they're bigger, which is really good because it, it, it goes farther because you get bigger yeah. rocks in there. Well, and we got that because... Part of ours is being on driven right. on, and yeah, you, you don't want to drive on big rocks. No, the stuff I got, you wouldn't want to be driving over. So I think we'll stick with it, just because I think it would look weird. Yeah, I like I like that way that one looks too. We'll do the same rock. Yeah. So it's it's been interesting. And we need a little bit more now that we've got the the shed and everything all organized in the backyard. We didn't put any back there. We need to put put some back there too. Yeah. So. It looks really good. And next time you guys come on, we have to see. I mean, it looks yeah. really really good. Good. That's awesome. But moving seven tons of rock over the weekends. Oh, fucking. <laughs> it, I, I don't want to say it's backbreaking work, but it basically is backbreaking it is. work. It, it is rough work to do that. It so. is. I got. So I get done. I go in. So Sunday, I get done. I go in and I'm like just chilling and we're watching something on TV. And I go to stand up and it's like, oh, everything yeah. hurts because after stopping, yeah, and then you and just go sit down. down. It just stiffens up. Gotta take some, gotta take some, uh, anti-inflammatories. Old, some old people meds. Some old people Put some meds, Bengay so. on. And- so it looks really good. But all that being said, I haven't even, like, I haven't even begun with the garden. And usually by now I'm about, well, I've at least got it clean. I haven't even cleaned anything out. Yeah. So. That's my goal this weekend is to get the garden area cleaned out and prepped, um, so that I can plant. Um, probably I've been not saving weekend, up all but- my cardboard for him since he's going to try and do raised beds. Oh yeah. It works. Yeah, it really does work to yeah. lay down the cardboard first and then raise it and put your soil on top of it. And then just poke holes through the cardboard where you need. Yep, it works. Because so, it keeps the berry, the weeds down. Yeah, nor- so we'll do a little garden talk and then we'll be done with this. But all of your in-ground stuff, if it's not in, like you're, you're well into the season, go for it. Anything. Yeah, we're not going to have – the ground's unfrozen now. It's not Carrots. Beets, potatoes. Like potatoes, all that stuff can definitely be in. And kind of the rule of thumb, and we've talked about it before, but Mother's Day is kind of the rule of thumb to have most of it in. And then by Father's Day is like your tomatoes and kind of your last sort of things. But what Mother's Day is in like two and a half weeks, yeah. three weeks, something like that. So it's like I haven't even started with the garden. Yeah, Just these I, other projects have been so monumental. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my goal this weekend is get the garden ready to go. Um, so I can 
plant some shit. Um, I thought maybe I'll go out and, and before the clover overtakes the front yard, the only main thing that's green is weeds. So it'd be really easy to go out with my little weed puller and, get the, and get the weeds now. <laughs> so we got some new liquor stores coming as well. Yeah. So I saw a post from the DABC. So the downtown store, which you know where the downtown store is right there, right on that mm-hmm. horrible corner. Yeah, that's like a that location. So oh, it sorry, sucks so, so bad that there's no parking. There's no. always so many homeless people there. It's bad. So that so both of these new stores foundations are in place. So like they've poured foundations, okay. they're getting ready to frame. So they're going. Good, good. good. So they're relocating the downtown store, and I didn't see the exact address, but they've also got a new East Sandy store going in. Uh, both of which, right now, I think most people in that area are going to the downtown one, or are they coming clear out here? What? For for the sandy, for no. The, so mean, they go. So the the main sandy one is huge. It's a it's a wine store and a liquor store, and it's right off of 90th, and um, just between it's between State Street and it's right next to the RSL oh, North parking say. lot. Yeah, it's right next okay. to the RSL Stadium, uh, on on 90th there. So it's behind Club 90 and oh. where Ocean Mart is right there. Yeah. It's between Ocean Mart and Club 90, um, but that one is. So busy all the time because I go to Ocean Mark quite a bit because I work over there. Mm-hmm. And so like I'll go to Ocean Mark like on a lunch break or before I head home sometimes. And for RSL games, people just go over there all the time. And, and like I can go at 1030 in the morning or 11 when it first opens. I can go at five after lunch or at lunchtime at five o'clock after work, 330 after work, like on a RSL the parking lot's always full and there's always people there. The, the few times that I've gone, like kind of earlier in the day, at like I think they open at like 10.30, there's a line waiting to get in when they first open every time. I'm like, that's fucking insane. And it's not like, it's not a line of like homeless people. They're like just <laughs> average Joes just trying to get in trying and get, get their get their liquor, like some wine and stuff for the week or whatever. Well, I know when they opened that new one in Harriman, kind of by smiths and winco that sure took a huge load off of the riverton one yeah because the riverton one always used to and it's not a very big one it would be packed anytime you went so i'm surprised how many we have in our area considering our area is older yeah but you're because like (laughs) but like we drink we have some nice but our liquor like our new liquor store is really nice and even the old one isn't like it's it's that's because they they remodeled it but they're both they're both wine stores the other kerns one they remodeled yeah and they're both wine stores yeah because poor people like wine too Ha ha. <laughs> but my point is, is they're really close to each other. I'm just impressed that the Walgreens kitty corner from the liquor store here by the house doesn't have drunks hanging out on side of it. Yeah. That's like a Walgreens thing. Like no matter that where is. you go, there's always drunks Except for at like six o'clock. But this is the one where they took the stolen fire truck. That is true. That is true. Well, the maybe they don't hang out here because you got a liquor store right across the street. No, 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 it doesn't matter. Like they still like hang out at the Walgreens. Because the reason. other Walgreens is right next to the. There's a Walgreens yeah, by the other liquor store too. Yeah, corner from the other one too. Yeah, but they hang Walgreens, out at that one. Walgreens do seem to be next. Yeah, to I don't the know what it, I don't know what it is about Walgreens. It doesn't matter where I go, like in the country, like Walgreens yeah. always have drunk people hanging. Yeah, out. Yeah, the one in them. California is like notorious for just the one. Well, the one that is <laughs> the one that I, that we. See all Probably the, time. the one yeah. by Disneyland. Yeah. A block away from Disneyland is usually full of bums and homeless people. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird Walgreens thing. I don't know. Um, At least it's not CVS where they have carpet on the floor, which I just think is weird. But that's cool. It's good to know that we're getting more. Yeah. It's 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 such a because it's very 
uncommon for the state to own liquor stores. Like it happens in a few other places. I know Pennsylvania has state run liquor stores. Um, but when the state runs them, they get to control how many open and their hours of operation. And it's really, that's an annoying part of living in well, Utah. Especially like, because when it's a state run thing, they're never open on Sundays or holidays. Can yeah. we sign a petition to have Governor Cox asked for prayers for liquor stores. I, I don't oh, think I'm sure we could, but I don't <laughs> think he'd do it. I'm just glad that, like in in most of the areas in the city, the liquor stores stay open until ten on Friday and Saturday. But like, you go to like Bountiful, that one closes like seven. Yeah, so both of our liquor stores open like, until ten. And there's other ones like the one in Payson is like attached Five? to it's part. No, it's one of those weird ones that the state runs with like in conjunction with like a. Uh, uh, the owner of like a gas station. And so it closes at like eight o'clock or something or whatever time he closes the shop up. Like, and it's like, it's just, that's, those I like, are also weird. I like the, what the Draper one right next to the DMV. Yeah. <laughs> and what used to be right across the street from the prison. What I really like is when we go to Bear Lake and we can just go to the grocery oh, store on in Idaho, Idaho side and like actually get liquor from the grocery store. Or I actually like when we stop off in, um, Evanston. In Wyoming. Oh, yeah. Stop in Evanston on the yeah. way and get liquor from Evanston. Mm-hmm. Okay. Usually at the Smiths. If or, we stop at the Smiths, you can use your Smiths rewards card. But they have that giant one. Or like the Costco like the in Hawaii one. where oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got the like 10 gallon of Jack Daniels for like 20 bucks. That's so nice. <laughs> I was re- I'm on a bunch of like cruise Facebook groups because I'm a glutton for things that I don't get to do as often as I want. If it was up to me, I'd go on a cruise once a month, even just like a weekend. <laughs> It's it's seriously something I think we'll consider for retirement. I absolutely it, love it. Because the more you cruise, the more discounts and stuff right. you get. And you can just cruise instead of have a retirement home. Well, like for instance, we're going to book a, a cruise for next summer uh, over to Iceland and, and like the, the UK. Uh, and the offer I have is $200. Plus port fees, so it ends up being like seven hundred bucks. Crapo, that's for, amazing for so both of the us. Bi- the biggest total. cost is flying. so twelve hundred dollars to get there, but the cruise itself, yeah. But that's awesome. Yeah, but, that's great. I mean, when you think about it, for a vacation though, like three thousand dollars for us to do all. Now of that's that. for an interior room, and I think we're going to get a different kind of room. But like, still, you can't beat that, right? Like, that's great for a twelve day cruise. Like seven hundred bucks for two people for twelve days. No alcohol included, but that's all your food. That's like, it's not your excursions, but you could easily do stuff without paying for excursions. Like, well, that's the thing is you don't, you don't have to pay another cent and you're still going to have a good vacation. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And I mean, everything that you do on top of that just enhances it. But, um, yeah, we get good offers. Uh, Plus when you're on the cruise ship, you can have frozen yogurt every day. Yeah, every day. It's great. You yep. just walk past multiple times a day. Every time you walk past it, you, you just, just grab get... a cone and get some. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was, I'm on a bunch of Facebook groups, um, for cruising. Um, and there was someone that posted a, like a thing that where they, cause you can pre buy bottles of liquor to be in your room. And they were like, right. can you drink this on the cruise? Cause if you buy from the duty free store, you, you don't get it, it until the end of the cruise. So you get good prices on liquor on the ship and they're all tax free, but you can't drink it on the ship because they want to sell their booze. So you have to wait that, until you leave. That's lame, but it makes sense. Um, you can bring some types of liquor. So no on board bottle like, of wine. You can bring a bottle of wine per person and up to a 12 pack of canned beverages that are non-alcoholic. So we've taken wine before. Yeah. You just, you pay a cork and, and cheese in the dining pay, yeah. room or you bring your own 
corkscrew and you open it yourself. Yep. Um, but, uh, so anyway, and someone was like, do we get to drink this? And it's like, like a bottle of Malibu rum was like $120. And everyone's like, you sure as fuck better for that price. That's a $20 bottle of flavoring. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not even liquor. That's flavoring. Oh, man. It's liqueur. <laughs> but I think, I think for the, the longer cruise that we'll do, I think we'll buy a case of bottled water because I can't stand drinking the water from the faucets. I don't mind. I so don't gross. I'd drink whatever. I hated it. Even if it comes out brown, I'd still probably drink it. Just swish it around a little, spit out the junkies. I actually don't even like the the water from the... <laughs> the filtered the, water. The filtered the water from the... Food like, areas. Yeah. I don't even like... Like, there's just something about how, however they're treating it that I don't like. That's because so, it's got pee in it beforehand. But what's nice when you have the... It's the recycled water. It's not recycled. <laughs> what's nice when you have the drink package is you can ask You don't for, need water. You can ask for a bottle of water with every drink that you get, and they'll That's give true. you free. They'll just give it to you. And so every time Chris went to get a drink or whatever, he just asked for water. And then we just we had we just had about four bottles of water in the fridge that I could fill up my water bottle with or whatever. So. Also, the trick to making the drink package worth it, Jeremy, drink twenty dollar uh, glass scotch all week. Yep. So it's not about how much you drink. It's quality, man. Yeah. I was, I was not hesitating. I'm like, Oh, that's under the $25 mark. That's the best scotch on the boat. Any place that has it, I'm getting it. What's the second best that the other places have? That's what I did on our cruise. Like I'd go up to the lounge and I'd sample all the good stuff. Yeah. And Aberfield is really good. Actually, I was a big fan of the Aberfield. Um, the Johnny Walker is like over the mark. I'm like, (laughs) my favorite, my favorite thing to do when you have the drink package though is just get my chocolate chai latte every, every day. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's move on. Uh, it is the last week of the month, um, which means it's Utah Adventure Week. Uh, and we decided to plan another indoor adventure because we didn't know what the weather was going to be like. Turns out the day we went was a pretty decent beautiful. day. A beautiful day, actually. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, but you just don't know this time of year. Yeah. So, I mean, the week before we had a foot of snow, so... You know, this is how it works. So, but we decided to go to the uh, Natural History Museum of Utah for our um, adventure because we've, you know, we we went to the Leonardo. That was really depressing. <laughs> um, newsflash: the Natural History Museum of Utah is better than the Leonardo. Um, we that's not saying much. We Chris almost went so far and maybe even said, "I I don't know that I, I totally agree. I think it's maybe on par with, but rivaling." The Hill Air, Aerofair. The Aer- Aerospace Museum? Yes, thank you. I was almost at Aerospace. It was <laughs> like pretty Museum. spectacular. Yeah. So the Hill Aerospace Museum, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can say this is better or worse. It's different. Like I said, I feel like they're more on par with each other. They're totally different. There's no equally crossover. Cool. And, <laughs> but, and equal, you're equally able to be inside and lose, just lose track of time and not realize that you've been there for a few hours. Yeah. The Natural History Museum of Utah is bigger right now, I believe. They certainly have more exhibits and we'll talk about some of that. Um, but, um, Hill's going to open another wing in October, we've been told. Yep. And so we'll see who ends up being bigger. Um, but I'll let Jeremy talk a little bit it's about, all the about history. the size. <laughs> By the way, that's true. The Leonardo should know about that. Uh, <laughs> one hundred and sixty-three thousand square feet. That's how big the the Natural, Natural History, History Museum, Museum is. Do we know how big the Hill Aerospace Museum? I don't know. You look it up while I start yeah, talking. That's right. 
All right. So the Natural History Museum, the idea behind it was conceived in 1959 when the University of Utah faculty. Okay, hold on. How many square feet? 163,000. I think that's what you said. Okay. So 9,600 was the first uh, um, building. Then they added 36,000 square feet uh, in the second hangar. Um, and then. So it's not bigger yet, but maybe when they add that third hangar. 130 something thousand is what you said? 160. 163. The new hangar's not going to outdo that. No, but it'll be a lot closer. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe like, I would imagine it's going to be another like 36,000 square feet or so, like another 35,000 foot hangar. Um, which is. So you're 150? No. No, no. So then you're like. 70,000? No. Yeah, 35 plus 9 plus another 35. You're like... Nine? 80,000. Yeah, the first building is only 9,000 square feet. Oh, I thought you said 90,000. No, 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 no. So I was adding those on to 9,600, I think is what I said. Oh, (laughs) my brain totally converted it to 1,000. So I was thinking we were basing it on 96,000. So Hill's definitely much smaller, but really... And we're not counting all the outside space of Hill, which is massive, and they have full-size plants out there so but anyway sorry go go ahead and continue okay so yeah back in like the uh so 59 is when they decided that they wanted to put together a museum that's the faculty of the university of utah decided they needed to do something with all of the exhibits and all of the stuff that they have so that's when they decided they wanted to do it it took 10 years 1969 before the museum officially opened but in 63 they started Working on it, right? Yeah. Yes. In 63, they decided it was going to be- Concept 59, started building 63. Right. That's when they decided it'll be at the University of Utah. They got the legislature to pass it. They started getting funding for it. They probably needed like a bond and all of that All of that jazz. So in 1969, it opened in what before that was the George Thomas Library. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that. I didn't realize that used to be the library. But that's the space that it was in um, in 1969. And it was called the Utah Museum of Natural History. Yes. Not the Natural History Museum of Utah, which is, is what now is. called. And, and that's when it moved, but now. we'll talk about it. So, yeah. Why did they change it? What does it matter? It has all the same words in it. Uh, I th- well, because I think um, the Utah Museum of Natural History suggests that it's just Utah. And it, while most of it is, um, I, th- I personally think by changing the name to the Natural <laughs> History Museum of Utah... <laughs> It opens them up because then you're saying it's a natural history museum. It's just in Utah. Right. And I think that opens them up to better traveling exhibits. Anything and everything. Yeah. And we'll get to the traveling ones here in a minute. Um, so when they, when they opened in 1969, they took specimens from the Desert Museum, uh, the Charles Nettleson Strevel Museum, which had closed, but it was in the old Lafayette School in South Temple. Uh, so they took those pieces and put it in it. Uh, the paleontology collection at the time was one of the newest and best, and it had fossils. Well, and so th- this is an important part of why the museum was created, yep. because the University of Utah has always had uh, a pretty good archaeological program, exactly. because they, they do so much, and, and, and um, um, paleontology, because um, they do a ton of that stuff, and this is the point in time where they were really discovering right. all the dinosaurs in Utah, all the fossils, doing all the digs. Yep. And the whole point, like you said, I think it's kind of understated, but 
the university had tons of stuff with, like that they had just uncovered just sitting there like yeah, with nowhere to display it yeah nowhere to display it they were holding it in like storage units basically for lack of a better term and they wanted to start showing it off yep so uh, 1959, a gentleman named James Henry Madsen Jr. just graduated with his master's at the University of Utah. And in the following year, he takes a job for William Lee Stokes of, Prest- or of Princeton. Princeton University. And it's funny because the job he was hired for was to work at the newly discovered Cleveland Lloyd Dinosaur Quarry in Price, Utah. So Princeton originally had the rights to dig in there, but after a short period of time, Realizing the magnitude of the fossils that they were finding there, they decided there was no way that that one institution could possibly cover all of the ground and, and uncover everything. So they created the University of Utah. Created, was this the big mud pit thing that we yes. were looking at? Okay. Yep. So so the University of Utah creates the University of Utah Cooperative Dinosaur Project. Uh, they got funds from the University of Utah, the Department of Geology, also the government. This is what allowed them to have the money to work on this project. Uh, they worked on it from 1960 to 1976, bringing out tons of fossil bones. And they found, uh, I'm, I'm going to slaughter these names. Camarasaurus, Camplosaurus, mm-hmm. Camptosaurus, Camptosaurus, do you want me to say you, him? You say him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he's way better. Ceratosaurus. Now I, my, Stegosaurus. Uh, Allosaurus, which is one of the most famous from Utah. From Utah. Um, and uh, of the Allosaurus, they found between 44 and 46 complete individual. individual. Which is part of why that dig site was such an impressive site. Also, just the sheer volume. Uh, yeah. The uh, Stokiosaurus, the Marshosaurus. So, and those two were new discoveries in 1974 and 1976 mm-hmm. that were added to, what would you call that, the, cata- the catalog of dinosaurs? So they were brand new dinosaurs that had never Dinosaur been discovered. Dinosaur genealogy. Yes, 74 and 76. <laughs> yep. Um, and then that's when the university stopped their project. Right. But Madsen didn't want to stop, so he... So um, he created his own company called DinoLab. And what his company did is it uh, preserved bones, made casts, and sold them to other museums, institutions, and private buyers. And because of his dino lab, that's where we see, when we were there at the museum, the huge casting department that all came from him. Well, and that's that's a thing that a lot of people don't realize with museums, in particular with dinosaur bones and and archaeological finds like that and, and paleontology finds. Those bones, because once they're dug up and then they get exposed, they start to degrade. Yeah. Like they they do have issues, and so to preserve them, you know, they're kept in temperature controlled environments, but they want to be able to display them. So they create casts of these skeletons. They piece together bone fragments and. Like usually the ones you see like hanging from They're never actual bones. Yeah. They're almost never actual bones that you see on display. They're just too fragile. Yeah. And even though they're they're petrified, they're still very fragile. Yeah, and so that's it's all casts of bones. And so uh, uh, most museums have some collection in house. 
like the University of Utah has a huge collection in in storage, and they bring out yeah. different pieces throughout the year. You could actually watch them. Um, yeah, not excavate. I don't know what it is when it's just the little piece that's the on the desk, but the, they're, where they're cleaning off little bits of like. Like they've taken a chunk of the soil and right. they're they're yeah. slowly dremeling out and dusting and and yeah it's ex, it's ex- excavating still I guess yeah, yeah but but I when you say that I don't want people to think that they're like big shovels or something like they're literally just sitting at a desk cleaning with yeah. you know goggles and cleaning off bones so the the Natural History Museum has the largest collection of Allosaurus skeletons in the world. Allosaurus is the Utah raptor, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and that's our state dinosaur, in case you were wondering. Correct. So, that, so dinosaurs aren't the only thing. That's one of the biggest things, but that's not the only thing. There are more than 1.6 million objects insane. in the collection. So, the, the big parts of the collection, the two really, really big parts are the dinosaur bones and ge- geological stuff. So, a yeah. lot of rocks and crystals and stuff like that because Utah's- just the different layers of what's happened in Utah because we had lots of glaciers come through and so they deposited lots of things plus we were part of the um not the Great Salt Lake what's the big Lake Bonneville yes Lake Bonneville, Lake Bonneville. and so there was a lot left behind but from prehistoric stuff where things were in the water and then the water evaporated and left those things behind. So let's finish out the history of the museum, okay. and then we'll get into our experience. So there are over 750,000 archaeological collections. There's over there's records from more than 3,800 sites around the world. Um, ethnographic, am I saying that right? Ethnographic collections, there's more than 2,000 objects. Um, the permanent exhibits... They have our past worlds, Great Salt Lake, life, land, first peoples, gems and minerals, native voices, which is super cool. Yes. Sky, our backyard, and Utah futures. So a little bit more about the history of the museum. Um, I don't really care so much about the directors, but um, in... 2011, the museum moved. Yep. So it had outgrown the library by a lot at that point. And the, so, there's nowhere there to expand to. So when Jeremy and I were at the U, it was it was still there in yep. President's Circle. Um, that's where we both remember it being. Uh, neither of us had been to the new one. That opened in 2011. Um, so that shows yeah. you how long it's been. So in 2011, um, I mean, before then, they, they started the commission of building this thing, but... Um, they decided to move it and ultimately moved it up into research park right up on the, in, in the hillside. It's not just Yeah, they the put hillside. it on the hillside. I imagine that their pylons are, are massive. Are yeah. put in there correctly though. But they, yes. they did that, I think, because they, the stuff up there, they want to preserve what Utah looks like and it fits very well and there's a bunch of trails that lead right into it. Also, it's a great view. So even just the, the, you can go out onto patios and it's see the valley it's five stories five stories um in the side of the mountain a big chunk of it um and it's right next to red butte garden Mm -hmm. um so um but they moved in there in 2011 and that's where it's been since then and part of moving in there is they now have a huge wing of the museum dedicated to specifically to um traveling exhibits we should start with that because that yep. was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So it was uh, the traveling exhibit that is there for 
the rest of this week, I think, <laughs> and then it's gone. Yeah, I think it's through the end of the yep. month. And uh, I promise I will try and put, throw a blog together that will be mostly the pictures that we took so you guys can see what the experience is because you won't be able to see this exhibit the way that it exists after the end of this. And the exhibit, like the special, what's it called? Angkor? Angkor. Angkor, which is from um, Cambodia. Cambodia. Which is really impressive. So they have the traveling exhibit. And one of the really cool things is there's a ton of stuff. It was funny because Truman, one of our, our buddy's kids, uh, who's going to the U, um, was telling me when I said, hey, we're going to go up to the Natural History Museum. He said, oh, the, this is the perfect time to go because you'll get to see the Angkor exhibit. There's a bunch of stuff that's for the first time on display. It's the first time it's been on display outside of Cambodia ever. Which is so cool that our museum got to have that honor. And so... So Cambodia, for those of you that don't know the history of Cambodia, I encourage you to go look it up. It's really fucked up, especially yeah, it's recently. Tragic. It's very tragic. Um, so Cambodia is in Southeast Asia. It's in the same area where you've got Thailand, Vietnam, and Laos, and all that area. During Vietnam, Cambodia was supposedly the neutral zone, but they were probably raped as bad, if not worse, than most of the other countries around there. Yeah, well, and and you had installed... <laughs> It's prime minister slash dictator Pol Pot. Uh, and Pol Pot committed genocide on his own people. Like, killed. He, he destroyed them. Just destroyed them. He got fucking, like, nothing for it. House arrest or something. Like, it was not cool. But Cambodia's had a hard time. But the thing about Cambodia is it's deep jungle, dense jungle. And, um, there was, there's a lot of un, uh, inhabited jungle. So it's very similar in a sense to the Amazon where the Amazon is this really deep, dense rainforest. There's a lot of areas that we think have always been un- uninhabited. And then suddenly um, we started finding stuff. So in the seventies, in the sixties and seventies, as we're flying sorties across Cambodia, yep. they start to see shit out of helicopters and airplanes. Like as the, at the tail end of, Viet- of the Vietnam conflict, that's when this kind of starts to happen. Because, yeah, they're flying over these spaces, and they, they do have a really cool picture from an airplane from sometime in that late 50s, early 60s, something like that. And it's looking out over Cambodia, and you can see the shapes of the temples, but the, the forest has just completely engulfed it. And the, the caption said something about these pilots were seeing these shapes and were wondering what it was. Like, what is that? And so they go, and they start to explore, and they start finding massive cities, temples, all of these things that the, the forest had just eaten. And mm. and so Aten? Aten. <laughs> specifically this is all these are all relics from this site um called the Temple of Angkor Wat. Uh Angkor Wat or Angkor Wat. It's A N G K O R in case you want to look it up. Um and so this was this giant area in Cambodia um and all these relics are from those temples. And so there are some that are replicas but there are a lot that are are actual pieces yeah. and they're the first time these pieces have been on display these intricate i was just going to use that exact word they're so the fact that that intricate of detail survived the jungle and vietnam yeah. and being bombed and, and they're car- they're and- stone carved like it's not casted it's hand carved stone <laughs> stuff like some of it is <laughs> What? It's just cast. She's laughing Whatever. at our language today. So, 
there, grammar. But like, there's some really intricate, detailed stuff. I mean, and there's there's other stuff like they well, have, there's histories that they wrote on obelisk-like mm-hmm. things that they chiseled into the stone. And so, if you make a mistake, it's not like there's some whiteout, or you can grab another <laughs> piece of paper, like. You it's have like to start again. It's like if you fuck up someone's tattoo, you know? Yeah. So but was, even worse, because there's like tattoo removal. There was the one, I don't know exactly what it is, kind of that obelisk shape, but it had, there had to have been thousands of little Characters. individual, individual people, like figures carved into yeah. this thing. Just absolutely phenomenal, the detail. And while we were walking through it, we were all commenting oh. that this it is, is, it is closed. It was the 23rd. Oh. oh. See? So we were commenting on it. Had the war and all that garbage not have happened, what an amazing, beautiful, mystical place. Culture. Yeah. So beautiful. So and so much stuff destroyed because of idiots, basically. But the museum there, I just want to point out some of the other exhibits they've had. This is... This is one of the cool things about being where they're at. So they've had a couple of, um, like a really big Egypt exhibit, uh, last year they had, um, for like a year, um, about a half of a year from 2021 to the beginning of 22, um, like the time of pharaohs. And I know they had a bunch of, um, stuff that hadn't been displayed before there. They have, um, Sometimes they do dinosaur uh, exhibits. They've had uh, a big Mayan exhibit travel through there. They've had a Viking exhibit. Oh, wow. Um, And this is just over the last few years. Like, it's really cool the kinds of stuff that they can bring in to the museum as a result of having this space. Well, like Chris was talking, if if we lived closer and it wasn't, you know, a trek to get up there. If it wasn't a half hour drive from our house. Um. Like that, it would definitely be worth it to get a, I'd be a, a pass. If, if, if you still have kids that you're, you know, trying to figure out what to do with, be a member because, um, <clears throat> you're never going to get through all five floors. So we, we blasted through, what was it? We were there for like two, two and a half hours, two and close, half hours, close to three hours. <laughs> and we, I would and say we walked quickly. We made a pass through everything and we stopped at some of the items, but for the most part, we, not fast, but we just kept moving. We strolled. You can get a family membership for $139, up to six kids. So that means all of the exhibits that pass through, all of the different things that you can do. Plus, when you're up there, you're done. You can use one of the trails. You can go to Red Butte Garden and wander. Like, you could literally spend a weekend there with your kids like saying okay this weekend we're gonna go up to the natural history museum we're gonna go to red butte gardens we're gonna walk the trails we're gonna do all of that stuff and it it would be different almost every single time that you went in so to kind of break it down they have the different sections and in each section they've got a whole bunch of information they've got for example where all the bugs were they've got thousands of specimens of bugs and it tells you where they come from what they do different things like that and then there's interactive parts so there's these uh magnifying glasses set up on tables where you can go through and scroll through and there's get, like buildings that you can build for the earthquake and they're then called simulate. microscopes microscopes Jeremy. microscopes <laughs> <laughs> but they have like all of these classrooms and labs throughout the what there's like four of them and i they, think that we they came do across. a bunch of like not just for kids either like no. i was looking at their site they do a bunch of adult education programs uh especially in the evenings um, really nice labs with really cool 
things to look and at. It's, and it's a working museum. So like Bree said, like there's at one point, like as you get through the, a lot of the paleontology stuff, there's a room that you, the viewing window where they're actually working on the excavation yeah, stuff. You can actually, fossils. Yeah. You can actually see them working on the fossils. They even have like just, a bench there for you to specifically like kneel on stare and at look the people. at. The and then all the, the dinosaur, the cast room, that's all glass. You can look in. Yeah. The, the big warehouse area. So like they turned on, on the lights. They must've been doing something there while we were there. And you can just look down the aisles and, and aisles see of all things. the stuff they have, this huge warehouse. And they also have, you know, other areas that we're obviously not allowed into on one side of the building that they're doing tons of that stuff as well um, from gyms and everything else. One nice thing is if you just want to go in one shot, um, there is basically you start at the top and you just kind of spiral down mm-hmm. and, and the way they've laid out the museum with the exception of the special exhibit, which is kind of off on the side that you have. And to, I think you must go the opposite way on that, maybe on purpose. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't but know. At least that's the way Angkor was. But it has like its own, out. it has its own space and that's because that space is all dedicated to those traveling exhibits. Um, but it's kind of separated. But regardless, so you kind of start at the top and you wander your way and you wind through and it takes you through the entire museum in one path, it's not like Ikea where you get lost <laughs> in a fucking maze. I mean, and there it, are a few like little things and stuff where, you know, you want to go around the circle of the thing and there's some figure eights and stuff that you're making. But and I will say it flows. It makes a lot of sense the way it flows, too, in terms of like it's the theme slash timeline type stuff really does kind of flow. Yeah. So the first the very first thing that you're going to go into is. Um, I think one That's of the, the people's voices, want the native voices, yeah, native voices, and it's it's amazing. They just have played playing on a loop recordings of natives from here in Utah. I don't know if it's from other places, just talking about their history of their their traditions, the things they're doing to keep those alive. There's a lot of placards and stories on the walls as you see some of the exhibits of. Native American craftsmanship, some some stuff relatively new, some stuff uh, much older. They're not shy about talking about the atrocities that the state <laughs> has had. You know, the, pro- the the plight of the Paiutes, to be very specific. You know, like the Mountain Meadows massacre, and not just that, but some of the other fucking massacres that we don't talk about very often. Well, and even just. The quote unquote, I don't know what else to call it, but like the gentrification of the, uh-huh. you know, the wild man. They have know? the, well, they have the, a big, uh, aerial picture of the Native American schools up in Brigham. And like, you know, like, cause we talked, we've talked about it before and it's basically like one building that's left, yeah. uh, up there now. And it, this was massive. It was enormous. Well, and it, I mean, it, in some ways it's, it's still happening. Oh yeah. I mean, it's still, I mean, we still are stripping culture from indigenous people, which is just sad, but it's, it's a really good, uh, I'm, I, I'm sure they could and probably will at some point do more. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, artifacts much further down in the museum, but I think this specifically is a space that's dedicated to Allow you the to, people, there's the also, actual people, and there's 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 seating in there. When we got in there, there were a couple of people actually sitting in there, doing other things, just listening to what I, was going on. I almost on. think that they might have been like students there mm-hmm. and doing, you know, listening to that. But it's it's cool and amazing, but it's a little haunting because if you actually sit and listen, it's it's very sad what we've done to the people who lived here before. 
you know, Columbus discovered Before it. Before colonizers. <laughs> you know, like it, it's extremely sad. It's, it's, it's hor, it's horrific. So you move from there and then you move into, uh, life. So you, this is where all the, all the entomology is with the bugs and birds um, and they have birds and mammals and a lot of dedicated space to Utah specific stuff. Um, you know, they have the coyotes, coyotes and, but there's and some wolves. stuff that aren't, but you can compare them to the things that are native here. Yeah, so know. we have like, we have some tortoise, but they're not, but there's also they a, have the, de- the, tes- the desert tortoise, a yeah. little desert tortoise. Little tortoise, but then they, but they have like, you know, a great big sea tortoise, tortoise and, and a big land tortoise. So you can like see the size difference and, uh, and they have some cool exhibits where you can see like they have, it's like a, it's kind of like a diorama in real life where they have, um, uh, sounds playing from different types of environment in Utah. Mm. So there's like cold desert, there's hot desert, there's alpine. Um, so the different environments there's in Utah. There's some taxidermy in it. And they, yeah, they have stuff called out like these types of birds and these types of rodents. Well, and, as you're going through that particular section, they had soil samples from 6,000 feet, from 5,500. Yeah. And so you can see what kinds of stuff is the in different the terrain and... What what kinds of seeds and twigs? That, that's and, another thing. As we're talking about that, um, one of the really cool things about how they've they've decorated, designed it is so, not every wall is just a normal wall, or you know, it's not it's not done so that it's matchy matchy. Like there's a wall in there that's all done to represent the different layers of. Oh yeah. Of the land. So, and, it's, well, and it's, that's as you're coming out of the life section, yeah. it's into the land section and all there's all everywhere you look, there's something to take in and encompass. And like you said, the land section, it starts with the wall being like sedimentary, like the different layers. And yeah. then there's like a wall where, where all of the bricks are different kind all the way up. So mm-hmm. you can, it almost looks like a, you know, a slice of it, but they've, they've done it and it's just, it's, it's a wall that was needed but instead of a boring wall. And this is the area where I think probably, I think the coolest like hands-on play with exhibit is that at least for me, which was that globe. This shows you like so the they evolution have, of, they have a yeah. rotating video globe and you can go down on the screen and you can, you can speed it up. Um, but it basically shows you the evolution of land mass on earth and how it's, how they believe it's moved. Cause obviously there's some clues they have scientifically. There's no way to definitively prove it. We can't go back in time, but you can kind of speed it up. You can rotate the globe around to get to different areas of the world and you can see where like mountain Pangea, ranges like and how, how it's yeah. broken apart and smashed back together. And- but it starts at six million years ago. Yeah. And you can scroll all the way to, well. And you can speed it up and slow yeah. it down. It was, that was, that was cool. really cool. I think, then there's lots of that sort of hands-on I'm, stuff. I'm super simple and I made them I made it rain until we filled up the oh yeah the, the, the Bonneville ballot. Lake and then we you get to drain it well, so we yeah, talked so about as a, we were drowning that's a things. little bit further down though because so yeah. the, so after the land just talking about uh, that, hands-on things the, yeah the glow yeah 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 the, uh, I I really found the skulls very very interesting the the monkey oh yeah because on the on the wall of of land as you come down, they had a wall yeah, full of evolution of skulls. And it's crazy because on it, it said up until, I don't know what it said, like up until 1960, 1970, we thought 
this skull was the oldest. And then a few years later, we found one that was like 7,000 years. But it's really cool because it shows which it shows things that were living at the same time, too. So it's not just like a straight line. Like it's like different this one of... and this one and this one were all kind of living around the same time and developing yeah. in different ways. And So really cool and interactive. And it, and it all flows like you go from one topic or subject to the next. But it transitions nothing, perfectly. Nothing feels really abrupt. Yeah. So like you go from the land into first peoples and then the first, is it the first peoples that's after it? No. Yeah, it is because that's before the dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Where, and then they have the archaeology. That's the right. So yeah. On. So you have the first people and so you get to see like a lot of the relics from early natives and well, stuff. Um, those pottery. Those, some of those moccasins from 1200. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the weapons that they found, like the, the and just tools in general. Yeah, uh, and then it goes from there into gems and minerals, which is kind of across the hallway. Um, and there's some amazing, amazing oh, yeah. like geode specimens and stuff like that, like really huge chunks of amethyst, some very expensive um, cut and uncut um, emeralds and things like that on display. Like really, some of them I've cool never stuff. seen that big before like in, yeah. in in person like to see unbelievably some of so big like just raw uncut and massive it's like holy cow that's so cool and then so when you go back and then by the gems and minerals is actually where the special exhibit ends up being yeah. mm-hmm. um but if you go back go back the other way then you have the the first people's transitions into the great salt lake which is a very utah centric piece that is uh, they have quite a few quite a few different displays like they actually have a live brine shrimp colony uh in one spot which is cool they have a really cool display of um the the like wetlands portion and they have some Uh cool um, it's really cool because they've like done a layer of like plexiglass or something that represents the water so you can see like birds and stuff above the water and the greenery and then you can look down and see like a fish and yeah the below water line yeah yeah. so and then they have that like you said, that hands-on display with the the topo diorama of the Salt Lake Valley that you can flood. Yeah, so you you can make it like rain and and make it go up, and it shows you so like you, where the different levels to of make it is. rain. You have to crank on a wheel. Yep, for I'm a very long determined. Time. It wasn't so, that long. I mean, it was you were cranking for like almost five minutes to fill it up. It took a long time, and I'm sure it's designed to help burn energy off <laughs> of kids. But it's this giant thing well, that you can you can peer through and see all the different levels, and it has and watch where it, like when it would flood the airport, where it would flood where you might live, <laughs> and it has markers for the different years of when Lake Bonneville existed, which yep. wasn't as far back as I thought, and then you can press a button and it just very end and it drains out it just flushes all the way out it's just a really cool like little hands-on exhibit and as you're doing that exhibit you start to transition into dinosaurs what they call past worlds but it's all the dinosaur stuff which is super cool because they recreated part of the i never say it right the cleveland lloyd dinosaur quarry which the cleveland lloyd dinosaur quarry and there's a bunch of video playing at one spot, and it explains why why they believe it was so rich in in fossils. Is it was a giant mud pit. It was like it was like the the end of like a a river where they might die further up, and then they'd get carried down into this. And like mud a lot, pit. a lot of the herbivores would come there to drink get stuck in the mud and that would attract the carnivores who would come to eat the herbivores and, and get stuck in the mud stuck in the mud <laughs> but they would 
be eating the herbivores and they would live longer, but then they would die because they, you know, couldn't get the rest of what they <laughs> needed. And so like it just became this area where there were just bones on top of bones on top of bones. And they have like in this area, there are chunks of the floor that are all plexiglass and they have actual specimens underneath in a display that's like, like the dig site would have been, you know, like yeah. the, the bones would have been found in the dig site, which is Fuck it. It was just so cool. Like, it was really cool to and see And a long neck dinosaur. I don't know what that one was called. Yeah, like a brontosaurus. Something. But just to, to stand there and see it and see how long that neck and is. And the tail and that came tail underneath can, like, and over top. can, down on the main level where the feet are and it, like, the, the head is. All the way up on the stories yeah. tall. It's, it's amazing. It's really crazy to see the, 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 the size of some of these, these prehistoric creatures. And you know, they're big, but until you are standing next to the bones and get a real good feel for how big some of those are. Yeah. And they had the one that has the, that they've done the like modeling of like the face oh, on yeah. it and stuff, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Um, and so they have, they have all the dinosaur stuff, which I'm sure is like one of the, the kids' favorite parts of the, the exhibit. And then, um, I didn't really pay attention to the sky part that they did, but they do have a section on weather and climate and astronomy and dark sky stuff. Uh, I don't think it's super developed yet. Well, and they do have cool stuff. So projected on the walls in the hallways and stuff, it looks like the, Trees are blowing in the mm-hmm. wind, and so it's su- like the shadow of le- yeah, of subtle trees. things everywhere. But there's there's interactive stuff, and they have a cool little like youth area that Bree participated in with oh, yeah. some other six year olds. That what they were like probably six and seven years old in there, and Bree went in and played in the water with them, sent down little boats down the river. Is that what they were doing? Yeah, there's like Something. a little chlorine so, pool thing where you like, can put boats in. Snakes and lizards. They have a couple of snakes in there. Yeah. Um, what? I'm the same height. I can go in there. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Um, do they have a little and, deli? And old man Jeremy and old man Chris went and sat in their chairs and fuddy did it over in the corner. Well, we've been there about three hours. Done a lot of walking. Yeah, that time. Kind of but yeah, they do have a, a little deli cafe so you can get something to eat. They have a little gift shop. It's not much, but they but it, it's like a museum gift shop though. Gift like shop. it's what you kind they of, they got expect. fun stuff for kids. And really, it's it's all about the activities. They have some jewelry that uh, they say is made by Native Americans. So, so there's there's uh, they have summer camps there. They have birthday parties. They do all sorts of other events. Yeah, they were actually having a birthday party when we were there. Yeah, they have um, uh, a bunch of lecture series that they do there. They have crafting workshops. Um, Obviously, you can schedule tours. You can do audio tours. Um, they do some behind the scenes stuff. Like there was a there was a tour group when we were there. Like someone actually t- taking people through. So mm-hmm. you can yeah, you can schedule a guided yeah, and tour. then I think there's a guided tour, and I think that there's a a listening tour, mm-hmm. or you can just walk through. So, uh, it's a it's a really great experience. So the tickets were, um, one time ticket for an adult was twenty bucks. Um, it was worth it though. You get kind of a cool little collector ticket too. I mean, we could have stayed there a lot longer. We could have been there all day and, like and I still said, not seen it all. If you're an individual, you can get a pat like a membership which lasts for a year for seventy bucks. If you have a significant other, it's only thirty bucks more for both of you. So it's like a hundred dollars to have 
a, a, you know, year long pass. And then the family pass, which is the really good deal there is 140 bucks for the year. Like you can't, you can't go to fucking Lagoon for that anymore. Oh, only one person. Yeah. It's a hundred dollars to get in. I think now, right? I think it's more than that. Lagoon's not getting my business. That's all I know. Um, so uh, overall, what, what was your favorite thing? I know we're probably getting kind of long in the wind here. So for me, definitely the Angor. Am I saying that? Angor. Angor, yeah. Angor. Realizing that was a traveling one, so maybe that one doesn't exactly count, but that was absolutely amazing. I would say of the permanent, I think the dinosaurs, <laughs> just like the kids. It was just so cool. I liked it all, but the dinosaurs was probably what like really stood out. I was trying to convince Brita to go back to school and learn to be a paleontologist. Yeah, I guess it is. It's ninety-seven, ninety-five plus tax for to go to Lagoon. No, Jesus. So, what was your favorite exhibit, Bree? Um, probably the voices. I, I, I have some ancestry. Um, I know I don't look it, but we stopped. There's some, just some pictures of people on, on, in when you, as you walk in, um, and the, some of them literally look like people in my family that Chris was like, this looks like your aunt so-and-so. Um, and so that kind of stuff really really touches me and it is haunting to listen to, but it's amazing that they've preserved the actual voices of these people telling their stories because it, it could be lost. So hopefully we're smart enough now that it's not, but uh, I think, you, Chris? I think for me it was um, the artifacts of the first peoples, like being able to see, because the stuff that really engages me is like the bits of pottery. So they don't always find like whole clay pots, but like, you know, they had pieces of pottery that they found that's super old for the Americas that has the most intricate detail work in it. And it's like from like 1200, even, you know, even all those years ago, like where they were making this stuff by hand. Well, if you think about it with like all of the anchor stuff too, like, Super of, detailed stuff that was just lost. Well, it just it, came by and for me, the pottery is even more so because the pottery is like everyday use stuff. Yeah. Right. Like the, the temple and stuff, I get it. Like they commission, they probably use slaves. Like they were building that as like a tribute to gods and stuff like that and of opulence. But like these, the native people were using pottery for everyday stuff and they still put these intricate details on him. That's just really impressive to me and being able to see like the history of the, the weapons and stuff like that, that they've created with tools. That stuff's all super interesting to me. And I, I, that's all stuff that is, I, you know, I feel like is a, a big part of our history in this, in this country that is overlooked a lot. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. Um, I thought those exhibits were really cool. I liked the hands-on stuff. Um, because it wasn't just for, kids i think kids have a ball oh yeah but i it was unlike the leonardo where like the hands-on stuff was stupid and <laughs> like kids very minimal kids might have liked it but it was really this was like engaging stuff well for i mean adults. chris is like opening the drawers like that are meant to be opened like there's drawers that have like display stuff in them yeah now this place would be I mean, could you imagine when you were in junior high or high school getting to go to that place for a Well, even trip? in just any grade. I don't know how they would keep the kids together. Like, it is, there's so much space. And You'd have to so have, like, an to... adult for every, like, three kids. <laughs> there's like... there's so, so many places to go and see, and it's really, 
that's really quite quite a cool thing. Um, I I rate this as a huge. You have to go do it. Like it's a it's a resource that we have that's absolutely stunning. Um, you know, go by yourself. Take your kids. You know, go hang take out all day. Five dollars you were gonna spend at the Leonardo. Ugh. Save it up for a couple weeks and spend twenty to go to the to the Natural History. You could spend all day there. Take a date there. Oh, yeah. Like, what yeah. A, what, a, what great a great date. idea. Cause, you know, you think about a date, like, people go to dinner, they go to, you know, coffee or whatever, and that's fine, and you can go get coffee there if you want. Always take your date somewhere where you can talk, by the but way. Yeah, don't go to the movie. Don't go to a movie on a date. Go to the Natural History Museum and, and walk through it, and you can really get to know someone and, like, decide if they're pieces of shit or not real fast as Based they talk the through, like, on some of that well, stuff. like, yeah, I mean, they go through, like, oh, this is stupid. Okay, well, you probably don't want to date this person again, or maybe you <laughs> think it's stupid too, and you guys are meant to be, and you can go you know watch a fucking movie together or something <laughs> but this was the, i i think the natural think history museum would be a great, great. a great i'd date. even go on a date again like the two of us when we're you know when we're wondering yeah, what we should do i don't want to go on a date with my i'm just kidding i love going on dates with my wife it's one of my favorite things to yeah it's it, it is definitely up there with one of i think our our best utah adventures is it the best museum in utah does it beat hill aerospace museum uh, they're just I think they're tied. Neck I mean, I can't decide between airplanes and giant dinosaurs. They're both curated so well. Uh, the design of both of them. That would flows. be, we should see if we can get the curator of that museum on. That'd that be might, the, dire- the director or the curator of the Natural History Museum of Utah might be a little more different. Yeah. Difficult. Well, I know, but we can try. I, th- I think, I think the thing that they both have is, the groups doing both of them are very passionate about it. Yes, yes. And that's what makes all the difference. I don't think there's a drop of passion in the Leonardo. <laughs> it's all no. about business. Yeah, it's not even a good business decision. And, there. and you can you can tell. Well, and that's the same thing with like the Clark Planetarium, right? Yeah. Like we love that place too. That was awesome. That place is totally fucking free, just like the Aerospace Museum. And that might be the thing that edges the Aerospace Museum out. Except for it's, it's a... I mean, I guess unless you're in Ogden, if you're already in Northern the, Utah, it's closer. But I, you know, Salt Lake Valley wise, I think getting the Natural to, History Museum is closer. Getting to see the actual working parts of the museum is really cool, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that you know the the courses and stuff like that they do at the Natural History Museum is definitely a leg up on say what that's going on at Hill because there's not really except for now they have that volunteer thing where you can go yeah. as like a business and help restore an airplane. Like wow. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say best museum in Utah on either one anymore. I think they're they're both amazing. Um, they're both definitely deserve your time. Definitely deserve your money because if you go to Hill Aerospace, you can donate. You can, which donate. we all did. We all paid probably what we would have paid at any other museum. Yeah, you can. You still donate because we made um, donations. But yeah, re- really cool experience. I'm very happy we were able to do it. Yeah, um, I would recommend anyone go see it. Go check it out. I don't want to do this card because I don't like the light. I'm going to do this one. Mm. Well, like they have, and I think they're, um, I think the cards are the way the front is, is the, each of them are different, of what like what kind of card it is. So um, this one says Hence the word indicative, be kind hearted and full of love, but maintain boundaries like a motherfucker. <laughs> so we're talking about dates here and like how you like people. Uh, letting people fuck with you is not a spiritual attribute. Think about Archbishop Desmond Tutu. That dude wouldn't have done the good shit he did if the world he let if 
it he did in the world if he let people walk all over him. Even his holiness, the Dalai Lama. Oh my God. I got to talk about the Dalai Lama. Even his holiness, the Dalai Lama tells people to fuck off sometimes in his <laughs> own compassionate as fuck way. The Dalai Lama also tells small children to suck on his tongue after he kisses them on the lips. Yeah, he's creepy. I don't know if you guys fucking saw that. I did. But that'd be like the Pope telling a little kid to diddle him. That's fucking <laughs> messed I up. I had a dream once where the Dalai Lama was in the, a Catholic cathedral drinking ranch dressing out of a gravy boat. Yeah, that whole... If you <laughs> haven't seen the thing with the Dalai Lama, this was like two weeks ago. It's fucked up. He was like... He had a little kid that he was kissing on the lips, and then he told the little kid audibly to suck his tongue out of his mouth. Which is gross. And like, it's hard Disturbing. to think that's not an innocent thing because it's the Dalai Lama, but also like, it's the fucking Dalai Lama. Like, what's he saying that for? That's weird. And they tried to play it off as like, oh, he likes to joke with, with kids and. No, it's fucked up, man. That's just disturbing. Like, priest face. <laughs> I don't, it's fucking weird, man. It's like the altar boys hanging out with Catholic priests. It's not a good idea. Maybe he just shouldn't be kissing kids on the or lips. Apparently, Mormon kids hanging out with their own parents. Have you heard about, did you hear about that thing? No. Some guy started messing around with his kids when they were babies and the wife hit it and the bishops hit it and they didn't report it. And now it's all coming back and they're like, well, we had confidentiality stuff. So again, maintain boundaries like a motherfucker. That's what it says. There you have it. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Hopefully you like the show. Um, you can find us out on social media at TNU Podcast uh, and our website, thenewutah.com. Um, hopefully uh, you guys will share the episode. That's what helps us the most. We and like, like I said, I will try and I've been super busy with work and stuff, but I will try and blog this one because we took some amazing pictures. A lot of pictures. And too, it was yeah. awesome. So uh, enjoy your week, folks. It's uh, spring. Um, maybe we'll have another snowstorm. Maybe we won't. Who knows what happens? 